Cache Valley Real Estate Podcast. Today's guest on the show is William Hostetler of Equity Real Estate, Highlander Investments, and Highlander Improvements. Um, William is an investor, broker, and contractor here in Cache Valley. And for those of you that don't know William, he grew up in the Northeast and came here to Cache Valley about 18 years ago. And when he moved here, he found real estate to be really inexpensive compared to what he saw in New York City and New Hampshire. So he bought a house and at that time in Cache Valley, he found that there really wasn't any meaningful work for his background, what he'd got his bachelor's degree in. And after buying that house, he found that home buying experience to be so rewarding that he went out and got his real estate license. So soon after that, he realized that he so much more enjoyed the analysis and problem solving of real estate investing over working with homeowners and helping them think about their living space. So he jumped right into that investing. So since then, he's weathered the Great Recession, helped found a property management company, started a brokerage, and has become a general contractor to help his investor clients. So today is another one of those days that I was just talking with William before the podcast and our conversation was just so good that I didn't want listeners to miss out on what we were talking about. So I just started the podcast right there and decided not to do an intro right there. So um, let's just jump right into it. I'll start our conversation for from when we decided to start it. Our attendance at these things just, you know, I have... 30, 40 agents and I get three or four, you know, coming to my meetings. Right. You know, that's so, crazy. Right. But you know, I mean, people have a life, right. They're, yeah. For a lot of people, they chose this business for the flexibility and um, they have another source of income and yeah. And I know, guess it's, it's great for that. <laughs> how serious you want to take it too, or how much you want to grind. So right. huh. definitely the people that come to our weekly meetings are consistently our biggest producers with a couple of exceptions but you know yeah it is in the independent contract i mean you wake up every morning unemployed right <laughs> so it, 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 you know it's just and the the thing particularly about the real estate agent probably less so in your case is if you don't do anything related to your business today there's nobody in the world that will know there's nobody in the world that will say hey <laughs> You know, yeah. Are you going to go out and make some money today, except for yeah. maybe your spouse or whatever, right? And so, so it's really hard. It takes a very special type of person to be successful in this business because they have to dig deep within to, to, to get out there and hustle and really treat it like a business. And you know, some people, some people are awesome employees, and just, but just can't get this into a place where they make money, huh. right? Yeah, and, and and the 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 pipeline building lifestyle. I mean, yeah, that's most of it. Just managing that, and keeping it flowing. Yeah, to a year. I mean, I've seen agents not hit their stride for eighteen months, and that's hard. <laughs> you know, I would say, I would say, you know, I don't do much in terms of marketing, and my phone rings, but I'm super lucky. But I've been doing this for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, and my first couple of years, you know. I quickly moved to investments so I didn't have to go out and find clients. Um, yeah. But, but now I have, you know, now people call me unsolicited, which is great because of relationships I built over the years. 
but I can't imagine if I, if I had to put food on the table right now and I was, and somebody said, here's your real estate license. I can't imagine what I do. I mean, right now yeah. it's gotta be so tough. And, and you just, I mean, you've got to have such a clear, concise um, idea of what you're going to be doing every day. And it's gotta be kind of the same thing for a long yeah. period of time with no palpable and certainly no financial rewards for at least 90 days at the very minimum 90 days yeah and that's just so you get somebody in the gate right at the beginning huh so you don't so, know how many people yeah. i mean 80 if they say nationally 85 percent of uh real estate agents uh don't renew after their first their first license do you say 90 percent? 85 oh 85 so I don't know if that's true. I mean, uh -huh. I, you know, it's hard to say. I don't, I haven't looked at the, you know, the division stuff. That seems awfully high. That seems like an awfully high attrition rate. Mm -hmm. I'm also told that um, real estate agents, uh, the attrition rate is second only to restaurant business owners, <laughs> yeah. right? Which uh -huh. is, which is 90%, but I think that's five years. You know, the attrition is, is incredibly difficult because, and, and the reason that a lot of agents don't actually um, uh, formally get out of the business and deactivate their license is because it's like 50 bucks to keep it active. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, and I know plenty of people, they're like, oh, if I have something that comes in, like if I'm buying a house or if my right. family is, like, I'll do something for them. And yeah, there's tons of agents like that. Right. I'm not going to do anything with my real estate license. If my mom decides to sell her house, I'm just going to get, I'm going to just do 18 hours of continuing education and, and earn that yeah. $12,000 commission. That sounds like a good return on time. Yeah. So, you know, it's tough. It's tough. It, this is, it's a tough business and, it, and it's, and it's because it needs a specific person that, that really has an entrepreneurial spirit. And, and most people don't think of it that way. People think of it, you know, the lifestyle benefits, but, you know, just like any entrepreneurial self-employed venture yeah you have you have control of your own schedule but you're working all the time if you're yeah. a lot of business <laughs> is like not sexy you know like it's yeah, just right. yeah. it's just the grinding every day and doing the same boring things every day without results like you were saying right and so yeah. it's tough you know i i certainly i certainly feel for you know we see it 90 percent, 90 percent of the agents in our community the average so so you know i look at equity data and this is really interesting because, you know, with, with over 3,000 agents in Utah, I feel it's pretty represent pretty representative. <laughs> of, a good sample size. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's for sure. Right, you know? Uh, and, and I have all of this. I know which agents, who the producers are and stuff like that. You know, and it's, it's a 90-10 rule. I don't know why they've coined it the 80-20 rule because that's just not true in, in the business world. In my, it might be true in, you know you know, medical research, but it's not true in the business world. It's really 10% are taking 90% of the pie, period. You know, I mean, where do the, where does the term the one percenters come from? Some people say it's even, you know, less than yeah. If you are in the 10 to 20%, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the 10 to 20% range, right? If you're not in the top 10%, you are not probably not making um, a respectable income in real estate, right? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I 100% would agree with you with the Valley and what's closing right now. We get to see what agents are closing. That's absolutely true. Right. And in, in the equity ranks, 50%, 50% of our 3,000 agents are doing three or, three or less transactions a year. Dang. And I think that that's pretty represent. We might be attracting, you know, 
some of the the people because we don't have any any ongoing fees or franchise fees or anything like that we might be attracting you know a lot more part-timers and stuff like that but i don't think so i don't think so i think our our agent makeup looks a lot like every brokerage huh good to know right man i wish i would have just started the podcast at the beginning you've you've already dropped some gold on me <laughs> well i mean <laughs> i don't care i mean you know whatever this is i'm i'm happy to have this if you want to just kind of have this be a really informal thing i have no problem just rolling with it all you know so one of my first questions i i had for you is yeah. um so in your intro um i talk about how you moved from the northeast you came to cash valley you purchased your home um, what about purchasing your first home in Cache Valley was rewarding enough for you to go out and get your real estate license? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Um, you got a couple of things, uh, certainly at that time, which is, you know, about 2003, 2004, when I had moved here, um, I was lucky enough, uh, to have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of savings. So I didn't have any real job pressures. Um, and I looked around and, and so the, the first thing is there was nothing to do here. I only have a bachelor of, of arts, you know, and, you know, <laughs> I only have a four-year college degree. And at that time there was not a job in Cash Valley that, that needed that skill set, right? There's construction uh -huh. and production line and everything that you didn't even need a high school diploma. And then everything else is doctors, lawyers, college professors, which not only needed a master, even a master's degree was meaningless in Cache Valley into, you know, and then when I moved here, right? There were no, no people with, you know, a, a six figure education in less than six years that there was no job for that person at all in Cache Valley. That's changed only recently, only in the last five, 10 years. So, mm -hmm. so there were no jobs for me, right? So if I was gonna stay here, I had to think of something. So, so entrepreneurship was, was the obvious thing. Uh, and then I went out, it's like, what does somebody, you know, with no job and no money do in, in, you know, the early 2000s, you start buying houses. Right? <laughs> yeah, that was a great time for it, for sure. <laughs> right. I had a FICO score, you know, and stuff like that. And, you had a heartbeat. Yeah, I had somebody that it's like, we could, we could consider this, you know, income was, yeah, you didn't really need income then. And uh, <laughs> it's like, I could wig it, you know? And so I went out and we started, we started house hunting, right? Uh, and, and like many people I've talked to, um, one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest reasons that people get into home ownership in, in Cash Valley and maybe everywhere is because they have a pet. And yeah. Paul Smith, uh, who's the head of the Utah Apartment Association here in Utah, uh, his statistic is that 75% of tenants are pet owners and 25% of rentals are pet friendly. You know, so no wonder we have the comfort animal problem, right? Just uh -huh. make all these places pet friendly and people won't try to, uh, to to back into it. But we had a dog, right? And, or we wanted to get a dog, can't quite remember. But uh, the only way to really do that reasonably was to, to buy our own house where, where it was allowed. Uh, so we kind of thought about, okay, well, let's kick the tires. And then I started, you know, I, I went in, I just found somebody, uh, you know, one of the one of the brokerages that you, the, that you hear, you see on TV uh -huh. and just got somebody who had some floor time and took my call and became my buyer agent. And um, I was probably the most difficult buyer ever because <laughs> they said, what was your criteria? And I'm like, nah. 
I could spend up to, I don't know, 200,000, right? <laughs> um, I'd like something that has, that, that exhibits value. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, uh, and they're like, well, how many bedrooms? I don't care, right? <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to heat, you know, 5,000 square feet, but you know. Um, but maybe I do, I don't know. Town or out in the valley. Yeah, I'd look at both of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Right. You know, it's kind of one of those, you know, I, I, I didn't have kids, you know, it's like, I don't need to be anywhere. I don't have any relationship to the community. I'm brand new here. You know, it's beautiful in the center of the valley. It's beautiful in the mountains. It's beautiful, you know, being in town, you know, what, so I could be near Bluebird. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just whatever. Uh, and so what I had the agent do, and I know this is a long-winded answer, but I just said, send me everything. Just send me everything that comes to the MLS. And so I probably did drive-bys on 200 houses. Wow. I looked at everything. We had three showings. We made an offer on one. And we were in a multiple offer situation. We were not the highest offer, but we got it anyway. Wow. Um, I don't know. I think the seller Googled it and saw, you know, figured out who my mother was or something and you know, whatever it was. But, but uh-huh. I mean, this is another thing that people need to remember is seller's motivation isn't always just about money right and we need to keep that you know front and center in in this market where it's not just you know don't don't put more and more money onto the table let's let's figure out what else might motivate a seller to to get them to say yes uh so we just went in and bought a house here in logan on west side and i'm like boy i did so much more work in finding this home than my real estate agent I'm unemployed. And at that time, I only need 90 hours of education. You know, 350 bucks, 400 bucks at that point, 90 hours. And I could be doing this, doing what I just did for no compensation. <laughs> uh huh. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll do that until, until I figure something out. Um, and then I, and then I did that. And then I joined uh, Remax over here and I met somebody else that was, doing all sorts of funky stuff with investments and stuff like that. And we partnered up and we started, we started going nuts and faking it until you make it. And Hmm. when we finally figured it out, it was 2007. And then that was the wrong time to, to figure out your business model, because then we (laughs) went, we went, we went hard and heavy (laughs) right in there at exactly the right time. And that, that was not, that was not good timing. (laughs) Yeah. So that actually leads me to another question that I had for you. And this might be, exactly what I'm looking for but um it sounds like you went through a lot of work to find your first house um Mm -hmm. what were some of the biggest hurdles you needed to overcome to uh succeed in being a real estate agent or I get you do more investments but what were some of your biggest hurdles to get to where you are today um boy I've never kind of thought about the um huh I don't know if I have a good answer to that. Um, you know, it's certainly, certainly focus, mm-hmm. right? I think it's so easy. I mean, we're in a trillion dollar industry. I mean, before, you know, what are the five biggest industries globally, right? Agriculture and energy, maybe the, the three biggest industries. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of ways to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> in something that is, that is pretty universal, right? And, and, uh, and, and. So it's easy both in terms of the uh, 
number of ideas that people have, the number of things that people are doing that work, the the roadblocks that you you come to, the frustrations that uh, you feel when you're doing something and it's not providing reward. I'd say that the single biggest thing is to keep doing what you're doing and to keep focus, stay away from the squirrel, stay away from the shiny object syndrome, mm-hmm. right? You know, if, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I've got this great database that's going to automate all of this and that and the other thing, and you're stuck with, you know, an Excel spreadsheet or whatever it is, that's not, you know, you're doing something, just keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and so we constantly lack, uh, we, we don't let our business model have its full exposure to the market to see if it will work. I, it was my problem. And as I see it, I see it in agents all the time that just choose one or two things for your niche or for what you're going to do for marketing and just do it over and over and over and Hmm. over again. And it will work. And when these all, you get all this other noise about, Hey, do this, spend money on this, do this and that and the other thing. Um, yeah, that's great. I, I encourage education. I encourage self-improvement, but don't lose sight of, I chose, I'm going to do this and make a commitment to it for at least a year. And, and I, I felt victim of that. Obviously the recession threw me for a huge loop. I mean, I was basically doing triage from 2008 to 2008, nine was, you know, as, as some ugly years. And then, uh, I helped found catalyst, uh, as, uh, when it was a standalone property management company and did that for a few years while I kind of figured out what my relationship was to re-entry to the, uh, uh, real estate business. So I definitely, I'm definitely okay. You know, lifestyle, personal financial situation, what I need to do, put food on my table. Mm -hmm. You know, I've faltered in just saying, okay, this is going to, this is my brand. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And, and just keep doing it. And I'm finally getting to the point where I think I have a few years under my belt now, but not, not 17 for sure, (laughs) maybe two or three where I feel like I know what I'm doing when I'm getting up in the morning in terms of where where my business is coming from and what i enjoy doing so oh, cool. it's, it's a long haul so i don't know if that answers your question but i'd say that's no. the biggest thing is you know yeah and i i did kind of blindside you i should have let you know before the podcast that was yeah. throwing a big heavy one at you yeah full disclosure i mean here you know lay it all out you know everybody says everybody says in business you know you, you hear it you know you, you know you've got to have your why and then everything mm-hmm. you know you, you you do should fit into that why um, and you know, I heard, I don't know if it's really attributable to Warren Buffett, but you know, write down your 25 life goals, right. And now, and then choose your top five. Okay. Cause those are the ones you're going to pursue, but keep those other 20 handy because those are the ones that are going to prevent you from getting your five. Now. Um, huh. and I think that's, you know, that's excellent advice. And, uh, and, but I fall into the, what's the, what's your why problem? Because it's not, for me, I don't, I don't have kids. So it's not family and it's not money. Right. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's my opinion, you know, other people might say differently, but if your primary reason for existence in this world is to make money in the United States, 
you will make money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm not that person. The, the money, money is not the highest on my list. Mm-hmm. You know, and then it gets gray and fuzzy, right? Quality of life, helping people, all those things. But it's not, it's not something I get up every morning and I say, you know, there's, there's my, you know, North Star. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it, that makes it difficult for sure. Huh. So you just have like a lot of principles, like helping people and stuff that yeah. get you out of bed, I guess is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Going out there, going out there and, and, you know, making, making a meaningful impact on my life and those around me. I mean, it's definitely, you know, important. It doesn't necessarily need to be helping, right? It's not charity yeah. necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's like, you know, just going out there and making the world a better place. Contributing. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So you, you work in quite a few different parts of the real estate industry so you're an investor um you own a brokerage you're a contractor i, I don't own the brokerage equity i'm not ownership in okay brokerage. okay good to know yeah um but out of what you do in real estate what does light you up the most and what are you most passionate about in real estate um taking as a problem solving problem uh-huh. solving and whatever that that looks like you know whether whether it's a person you know that that has some sort of difficult situation and that that needs needs some sort of creativity or out of the box thinking this is why investing is fun for me Mm -hmm. is you know most sellers have a problem of some sort right you know and it can be as mundane as i have this house that I don't want to live in, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. But it could be, I can't sell this because, you know, everything from title work to meth home to, you know, physical problems with the home, right? To all sorts of things. So so the reason that I still love this business is because every, every problem we're solving ha- is unique, right? And what kind of expertise, knowledge, um, an experience can we bring to the table to uh, what sort of resources can we bring in that might help this person with this problem or this physical situation with its with its issues um, and so that that to me is the most rewarding um, is being able to go in there and and think creatively about difficult situations and real estate is full of them <laughs> yeah yeah so in all these different aspects of your real estate career, if we were to look at like a typical week, how much time of your week is spent in each part of the business? Um, well, certainly not enough marketing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm a general contractor as well. And that since, certainly since COVID has been um, perhaps more of a time suck than, than I'd like to admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say 50 to 60% of my time is spent doing that it, administrative, you know, yelling at people, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, probably, uh, I would say then 25% on <clears throat> my own deals. And then if my math's right, and then 15% on, <laughs> um, on helping agents. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I'd love to have that expanded because you know that's 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 super rewarding because you know I've got all sorts of people out there doing all sorts of different things 
and when they get stuck um you know they call me that's my job right and we, mm -hmm. and we hash it out and here we are problem solving right you know and it can be it can be contractual issues it can be you know um disagreements uh it can be you know certainly you know all of this multiple offer stuff that's going on mm -hmm. it can be you know hey we just did our inspection and the you know the house is full of mold you know those kinds of things and so i get to bring you know what i've seen you know hundreds of times in various iterations that to, to kind of the conversation say well you know this is this we've seen something like this before and that and this didn't work uh-huh <laughs> You know, and, and, and help my agents think about, are we asking the right questions? Do we know who we're representing here? Are we, are we professional? Are we, you know, are we handling this? Are we, you know, not being emotional about it? Whatever, whatever those things are, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, so I'd love to do that more, mm -hmm. um, but I need to make, I need to make more room for it in my, in my busy life. <laughs> Yeah. So speaking of that, and you don't have to get like too deep or insightful about this question, but if you were to like start over from when you bought that first house, is there anything that you would change? Like, would you just have focused just on investing or just working with real estate agents? Is there like any small thing that you would change if you could go back? I would say, yeah, two big things. Uh -huh. um, one, I think that I would be a lot more financially successful if I was more comfortable uh, or I had better partners that uh, encouraged me or gave me the confidence to take on bigger projects at earlier or you at earlier stages in my career. Huh. Right. Um, I've generally played around in my comfort zone, which is taking really, really, really broken houses at the bottom of the market and making them cute. Um, <laughs> and so that's, that's a lot of work, a lot of inputs for small dollars where, you know, not that I want to ever, you know, I don't necessarily aesthetically enjoy, you know, cleaner, shinier buildings, but but if I was able to scale a little bit better using other people's um, expertise and resources, in other words, if I if I had a mentor, yeah, 10 or 15 years ago that that was that ha was aligned with me value wise, or a partner that was, you know, the the recession really screwed. I, I had a pretty good partner um, in terms of our, our common goals, but the recession, you know, just destroyed that and so I didn't I didn't I could have done better in finding um people in my life that that could have helped me with my career I think was is one big one big thing um and then there was another one that I think uh but I, I not <laughs> not coming to you that's fine yeah. But certainly, certainly, you know, scaling and building better teams and relying more on, on, on other people and not trying to do it myself. Oh, mm -hmm. and the other thing, the other thing, which is just, this should be everybody, everybody that's out there that's doing this is start right now on day one, keeping track of who your contacts are. Oh, right. I've met hundreds, if not thousands of people in the last 20 years. And, you know, if somebody said who, you know, and a deal comes across my plate. I can only think of 
10 or 20 people I'd call, you know, and, uh, and I think everybody falls into that pit. We, you know, human nature, right. It's like you, you, you're come home from the day you're tired, exhausted. It's like, Oh, let's go out to dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. Or let's, let's go, let's go, let's watch a movie tonight. What movie? I, I can guarantee you that there are 40 movies over the last month that I wanted, you know, last year that I wanted to see. But now you ask me, I can think of maybe two and I don't want to see either of those. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So we don't do a very good job of um, keeping track of what we already know when it comes time to making a decision. So I can't stress the importance of making sure that we're um, keeping a list of contacts and, and maintaining those relationships, even at some low, low, low level. Yeah, I wasn't sure what you'd say to that question, but I didn't expect either one of those. So that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, what, what's been keeping you in Cache Valley? Is it just like the relationships you and like the businesses you've grown here or like, what doesn't keep you from moving to like a very high investor market that's just killing it right now? Um, those are two different questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's plenty of business everywhere, right? You know, mm -hmm. if this is Snowville, we might be having a different conversation, but you know, you know, I've actually, it, the, the growth of Cash Valley in the last, you know, five to eight years really took me by surprise. I did not see this coming. I understood Salt Lake mm -hmm. could be the next Denver. We've seen that for a long time. You know, the airport, all of those things, right? The logistics hub, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I was, you know, I was not ready for Cash Valley to do what it did, right? Mm -hmm. Cash Valley was this nice little quaint, safe, you know, pretty, um, you know, low key community. And I did not expect housing prices to more than double here in three years. I just did, didn't see it. So, so, so I'm not going to say that there's, there are necessarily better markets out there. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are more houses here, you know, even with the 30 or 40 on the market, that's more than I can afford. Right. That's more than I can, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that's Tackle more than I can, you know, uh, make meaningful market share of, you know, huh. in, in any sort of period of time. So there's plenty of business everywhere. No, that's a great um, way to put it. Um, but, uh, but what keeps me here is, you know, I, I had a weird, so I came over here in a relationship, that relationship fell apart. Um, and, uh, and then I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm alone in Cache Valley and, you know, I've got a lot of houses and, you know, recession <laughs> and, you know, I'm losing some of them. It's, it's bad news. Yeah. Um, it was a tough few years. Um, and I just kind of stayed here to manage that business and unwind some of that stuff as, as uh as the market was hitting and then i kind of like okay you know cash is an easy place right to live you need yeah. a you need a lot of momentum escape velocity to leave to leave cash valley you really need a plan because to go anywhere else is, is expensive mm -hmm. right and moving is expensive and so so it can't just be a grass is greener because it, it isn't yeah you know, um, I spent a lot of years in New York and so New York City. Um, so I've had that experience. It would be awfully nice to have, you know, just a little apartment there you could go to or, you know, anywhere, like Paris or wherever, right? But, you know, there's no no real desire to move back to a place like that, you know, mm -hmm. that ran its course. Um, so it's like kind of where else? It's just, it's complacency, Cash Valley, right? And then, you know, I met a wonderful woman here. We got married 10, almost 11 years ago now. And, uh, and so I have a whole new life that's been, been going and both of us are kind of surprised that we're still here doing 
this long. I mean, both of us are like, wow, when we came to, you know, Cache Valley, we thought this was a temporary thing. And here we are, you know, decades later, and it's kind of making us nervous. Yeah. You know, is this, is this, is this it? Is this our eternity? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, mixed feelings about that, right? I, yeah. <laughs> but it's a wonderful place. It's easy to live here. It's a wonderful place, right? Oh. And, and so, so you've got to have a pretty compelling reason uh, to, to leave. And that's yeah. kind of the short answer. Yeah, that's so good. Um, you've asked me this question before, so I'm kind of just throwing it right back at you. But do you think that Logan could kind of become like the next Denver um, market? So, so the, yeah. So the question that I'm asking is not Denver. I mean, is Salt Lake is could can Salt Lake compete with with Denver? I mean, Denver's you know, percent yeah. you know more expensive. Obviously, you know probably that much more i don't know my population but i bet it's close to double the size um you know and so you have uh topological and geographical limitations that might yeah. influence air quality water blah, blah blah we have all of those kinds of things we have the great salt lake being an unrestricted thing in the mountains right so i don't i'm not going to speak to can you know salt lake physically expand to be the size of denver but in terms of culturally logistically and um in terms of access and everything else like that there's nothing preventing salt lake from being one of you know the top 20 cities in in the country as a destination and a place to live uh um so i have no doubt that the, that salt lake's salt lake's going to be fine uh logan's another is, 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 is another story because it you know it's pretty our access to outdoor recreation is great we have um, you know, uh, cultural, a cultural anchor and, and Cache Valley in general, you know, with, with the USU being here and, and the summer citizens program, you know, we're assured of a long, rich source of uh, cultural things that are appealing. You know, uh, my wife did a project with the Kane College and I learned that that, uh, and that's the arts and performing arts uh, mm -hmm. college up at USU that there are 400 events a year wow. that they've got to manage, whether it's art shows or pottery shows or live performances or, you know, trios playing and, you know, uh, Kent Hall or whatever. It's 400, right? <laughs> so we want to go see a classical, you know, musical performance every week we could, uh -huh. right? You know, yeah, there's going to be more in Boston, but, you know, I don't know if there's going to be more in Salt Lake. <laughs> so, so the question is, can Logan be another Bozeman or another Boulder or one of these kind of affluent areas that that draw people um from all over the world because of because of its kind of coolness or whatever mm -hmm. right and on paper Boulder or Bozeman for instance aren't a whole lot different right maybe a little bit smaller but you know they both have they both have schools there. They're both, you know, you go there, the arc of the age that they develop, the architecture isn't substantially different, but yet we're off by, you know, matters of many degrees in terms of uh, people knowing about them as a destination, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of the direction is, and I don't know if there's, you know, 
I'm not going to add a value statement to it, whether it's good or bad, but mm -hmm. you know, is, is Logan on the trajectory of turning into the, one of those where that two bedroom little, you know, bungalow close to the center of town, all of a sudden is a million dollars, right? You know, or is that, is that going to happen? And, you know, and everything gets cute because you've got, you know, these super wealthy people coming from the West coast and coming in and taking these places and, you know, putting in your little blah, blah, blahs and, you know, and types of things and, and, and these, these high-end renovations and have a cool and funky downtown in that way. Or are we, um, really culturally and politically isn't quite the right word, but, but so conservative and, and, and spend so much effort trying to preserve what we feel makes Cache Valley great, which is sort of its rustic, rural, small town atmosphere that, you know, that we're kind of the proverbial, you know, when the stranger walks into the bar, the piano music stops type, <laughs> of, type of community, right? And is that something that we prefer? And so, so those I think are competing forces and I can't quite, I don't have a good answer and I'd love to hear, you know, what your community has to say or people you're talking about on what they think, what they think this place is going to look like in 10 or 20 years. Because I sure couldn't do more than flip a coin because, because both of those things are possible, right? Equally possible, I would say, right? I, it's entirely possible that a few people, all we take, a few people or an article gets written or it gets in some funky magazine as, you know, one of the top places in the country to live that's not some weird, you know, data company and Greeley or something, but it's actually like, you know, on the magazine people read, you know, like Condé Nast or something, you know, right? And all of a sudden this, this whole town could change, right? Yeah. I said in 2003, all we need, all we need is one 400 person employer that's a that's an information worker employer not a uh not a uh blue collar employer right uh and the total dynamics of cash value will change and i think that happened with conservatives when conservatives hit about four or five hundred people you know that was a decade ago right we started, it happened everywhere, so the data isn't very good, but we mm -hmm. started seeing this is now all of a sudden, Huntsman happened at the same time, right? You know, we started seeing people graduating from college and staying. People saying, I don't have to go to California to start, to start a business. I can do it right here, right? Mm -hmm. And it's changed the whole landscape of Cache Valley. And that happened in 10 years. I mean, like I said, 15 years ago, there was not a job for me in this in in, in Cash Valley. Huh. In any in any institutional way, I probably could have found some small shop that did something funky. But if I went, in, but in, in terms of somewhere that I would have to send my resume as a stranger, there was no ad in the paper that met my met my skill set. Hmm. You know, oh, that's absolutely yeah. entire huge industries, right? Publishing, uh, banking uh you know advertising um i mean these are massive entire industries zero representation here 15 years ago right huh. yeah that's got to be crazy to watch that whole difference moving in and <laughs> yeah uh so i don't know i don't know i'd love i'd love i don't know what kind of you know i'd love to where this goes or what the audience is or anything else like that but i'd love to have that be an open discussion because huh. it, because it's still a guess for me and you know 10 years ago could i have 
predicted that Logan or Cache Valley would be what it is now? And the answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. I did not see this coming. So this is a little bit of a, like a change of directory for to, however you say that word um, to what we've been talking about. But for new people in the real estate industry, whether they're a new agent or whatever, is there something that you see in these new agents that determine whether or not they're going to succeed? It's it's grit, one way or another. It's it's does this have does this person have some sort of spirit of go out and get it mm -hmm. right when this person gets up in the morning do they know what they want they don't necessarily know how to do it but for the most part the people that come to our weekly meetings you know are the people that are are our top producers right the people that are treating this as a business the people that are focusing on really getting up every morning and going out and making and making a profession of this and making a business of this are the ones that succeed it's that's an easy one you know and and that's not always the goal of a lot of people to get into this business but it's pretty easy to tell right and you know if you can't show up this this isn't business this business isn't for you because nobody cares if you don't show up <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah that's a lot of businesses just showing up. I've heard that said by right. a few different people is just show up. You know, and, and it's it, at the end of the day, it's yes, we love to have high professional standards and high level of expertise and all of that. But, but you never have that getting going, right? When you come out of the gates, when you come out of the, the, the education or whatever and get your license, you, you don't have that, right? Mm -hmm. So it's scary. But you don't need to be a rocket scientist. You don't, you know, it's 120 hours and they let you go out and do this, right? And hopefully some supervision, adequate supervision is what, you know, it says in, in, in code is what I have to provide. Adequate. I don't even know what that means. Uh -huh. <laughs> I do know what that means. But, you know, but, but you know, um, so the barrier to entry is about as low as humanly possible. You know, a cosmetologist has to have, you know, hundreds more hours than we do to go out and handle people's big asset, right? So, so what it really is, is just, can I get up every morning and go out there? And I don't have to get a door slammed in my face to be <laughs> successful, but I need to get up every morning and go out there and, and tell the world that I'm alive. And I would enjoy your business. And if you can't do that, it's not going to, it's not going to come sailing in. It's going to go to that agent that is. Huh. So this, this might be kind of a goofy answer, especially asked right after that question. But do you feel like there's been one or two things that has contributed most to your success from seeing you where I'm at? I feel like you're super successful. You've been able to build a ton. You're very, very, very knowledgeable in the market and what's going on here. But what's what's just been something that's contributed to your success? So yeah, I, I mean, in terms of, in terms of how I feel about my success, a, you know, there are definitely lots more people that are doing things that are making them lots more money, and there are people out there much more involved in in their community, professional communities, and their markets and stuff like that. And 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 as uh, one of one of the coaches uh, in our industry, Brian Buffini says, you know, people that are able to 
uh, influence and make an impact in their community is another is another measure of success. There are people that 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 far exceed what I've been able to do, but at the same time, you know, I I don't need to worry about where you know where the rent check is coming from or whatever it is. You know, I've I've I, I'm comfortable and I feel that and I don't have to worry about my phone ringing. Right. So those mm -hmm. are two things. Right. It's like I'm plenty busy. And I, you know, and, and I can, and I can pay my bills. Um, but I live modestly. And so, so one of the things is, you know, during the recession, when everything was falling apart, um, I kind of cynically said, you know, it, 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 so my first little cynical quote is, what do you do in 2006 with no money and no job? Uh, you start buying houses, right? And so I did that. And then, um, you know, when I lost everything in 2010, what do you do with uh, no money and no houses? I, I'm just going to try to learn to live for free because that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so I've spent many years where I've, uh, I've built up a very modest existence, but I can go for a long time <laughs> yeah. without a lot of without a lot of need for for a lot of pressure for financial um, issues or anything else like that. So I'm I can focus um, my you know psychological my focus on on achieving things or doing things rather than I don't have to make ethical or um, business decisions based on what's going to put money in my pocket right now. And I think mm -hmm. that that's a luxury. That's a wonder. I'm incredibly grateful that I'm in a position in the world where, where I don't have to, to do something today because, because there's a, a financial need. Um, and so, so that's, that, that's something that, that I think is part of it. If that's, that's part of it. Um, and then uh, the other thing is, maybe not being the best, maybe not being the most aggressive, maybe not being able to offer my clients the biggest return. Um, but I feel I've been pretty honest in all my dealings. And um, I have a lot of clients who I do repeat deals with on handshakes, no contracts or anything else like that. And, you know, you didn't I can't really say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's contracts, there's lawyers, but you uh -huh. know, I, the point being that I have wonderful relationships with, and it's because we've been able to build uh, a build up a relationship of, uh, of real trust and real um, uh, working relationships with some good people, and uh, and that's just awesome. That's I can't replace that, but and it's taken a long time. It's taken a long time to just have friends and partners and clients uh and you know industry professionals that i know where they are i and you know and i know what that outcome is going to be if i do business with them um and it's it's going to be consistent and good so so i finally did it so one of the things that i wish i did more of at the beginning i have some of that now and it's it's absolutely it brings me sanity and uh <laughs> And certainly, you know, it's great because you have partners that you can say, hey, I need a certain amount of money for this project, you know, and I know that they're going to say yes or no based on the merits of the project, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it could be a reality check for me. But if it's if it's the right deal, you know, I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about my partners going into it. I'm not worried about a resource going into a project. And that's awesome. Well, cool. 
Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So I'll just limit it to four more just simple questions for you, if that's okay. <laughs> I'd hate to get this question if I were on a podcast, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Uh, the average listener to this podcast, I feel like is somebody who's working in real estate who might be a little bit newer, they might be experienced. But um, what, what final pieces of advice would you give to somebody in the real estate industry? Is there just anything that you would throw out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, figure out what you want, right? Like I said this earlier, we're in a trillion dollar industry, right? You don't have to get up and do something you hate. Figure out what you love. If you are, if fishing is your thing, figure out how to incorporate real estate into your fishing, not the other way around, mm -hmm. right? Because that's where you're going to be able to do it over and over again. So, so yeah. what you want out of life comes first and we can make real estate fit into that somehow. That's a very beautiful, concise answer. I'm, I'm shocked that you didn't like prep that in advanced. That's good. <laughs> um, I don't know how much of a reader you are, but um, what books have been most influential in your life or what books are you reading right now? Mm, books, right? Mm -hmm. my, my bedside table is full of them and I'm building libraries of anything that looks interesting, but unfortunately I'm not getting to them. Uh, you know, voracious consumer <laughs> of media, right? In whatever form, uh, I read everything that I can get my hands on, but I'm, I haven't been doing very well on, you know, taking out that 250 pages and getting it uh, front, front to back. In terms of influences on my life, holy cow, you're asking. So uh, full disclosure here, I'm, 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 I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but I was a, in college, I was a philosophy major. Um, so, you know, the great thing about it is the English majors, you know, they, they read a whole book, you know, and then they wrote a 10 page paper. Us philosophy majors, you know, we read a whole paragraph and wrote a 10 page paper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's a hard question for you to ask i didn't realize how loaded that question was <laughs> to make to make stuff up uh i i don't know if i'm going to go into to influential books um uh, you know certainly in terms of you know the the professional improvement and self-help stuff there's nothing that i've seen or read that 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 solves all of our problems but it's you know uh boy uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I, 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 I'm not gonna. You know, I, I don't even know what to say there. But okay. Uh, no. I, 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 in terms of regular reading, um, definitely both through the inbox and everything else like that. I read uh, daily. I go through the Standard Examiner, the Cash Valley Daily, um, or the Herald Journal, uh, and then I go up to the Pocatello Statesman. I'm reading that every day right? So staying, staying aware of current events. I read any sort of market stuff that comes from our industry things. Uh, I love what some of the commercial, uh, national commercial stuff um, uh, brokerages are offering in terms of analysis uh -huh. and free analysis. I consume that. Um, as far as uh, news media, print media, I read regularly um, The New Yorker and as much of The Economist as I can get through um, before I'm learning about the economy of Bahrain, you know, and, and, uh -huh. <laughs> and have to turn the page. So I guess not books, but those are those are things that I read and, and, and digest as often as, as I can huh. regularly. So you do a ton of reading. I didn't know that. That's really yeah. interesting. 
Um, I'm going to change this next question a little bit because we talked about it a little bit. Normally, I'd just ask you, what do you see happen in cash value real estate in the next five years? But I want to change that a little bit. How could you see accessory dwelling units benefit or hinder cash value real estate in the next few years? Because I know we've had some talk about that recently. Yeah, I've been, I was very active when this was kind of coming through and I'm really um, disappointed of the the spinelessness i think of 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 uh logan city to really just fight this in every which way it's possible and you know and there are a few detractors to the idea of an accessory dwelling unit uh statute uh and it's based out of fear and disappointment in our government and our municipal governments able to do their job. You know, if you look at the Smithfield adoption of accessory dwelling units, it's it's heartwarming. Their preamble to the code is like, in order to better provide families that have mobility issues or people on fixed income or all of those things, those are things that we want. We want to be able to take care of. I mean, they're, they're called mother-in-laws, you know, right now. We want to be able to legally take care of a, of a, of a home care worker who's not under our roof, right? Mm-hmm. And that somehow this got the, oh no, bad landlords from Salt Lake to 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 uh, change our policy is just really disappointing to me, and that's specifically Logan. The rest of Cash Valley is great, but Logan Logan really I think missed missed the memo on this one. Uh, accessory dwelling units right now, as they are um, adopted in certainly some parts of Logan, and they get much more lenient and flexible, I think, are a great thing. This is this is such an easy thing for for communities to adopt um, and and implement in a way that will provide the opportunity for home ownership, not for the renter. This isn't about creating more rental units, right? 20 or 30 in, units in, in Logan City, 20, ADUs is not going to change the number of the 7,000. It's not going to impact the 7,000 rental units in Logan, Mm -hmm. but it's going to help 20 homeowners that are going to be renters that are going to live in one of those 7,000 units up at some, you know, complex that ends in point or somewhere out and now Nibley or some of these other communities that are more aggressive on their densities um, and, you know, be commuters and get in their cars and travel. Um, it's going to allow, it, it allows those people that would otherwise be that renter to come in and take pride in home ownership in some of our older deteriorating neighborhoods and invest in them. And by definition, by definition, invest money into them because there's a great financial return on investment of taking an old home, the right one, but taking an old home adding a second unit to it and using that unit to um, to uh, su- uh, supplement supplement your income and, 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 and you know and deal with mortgage rates. Right now there is, you cannot buy a unit of any kind in Cash Valley for less than150,000 dollars, right? 
you can't get a fourplex for less than 600,000. You can't get a duplex for less than $300,000. And that might even be low. It might even be higher than that. It might be 175, 200, uh -huh. right? Give me, you know, a $300,000 home, right? And let me make that two units for 350. I bet I could. Yeah. Right. That's the cheapest housing out there. That that is the avenue to the cheapest housing in Cash Valley, and we're saying no to it. Yeah. Right. And what we're doing is we're taking, we're taking, giving the opportunity of uh, uh, giving homeowners the uh, or giving giving these neighborhoods we're we're incentivizing home, uh, homeowners owner occupants to move into it because accessory dwelling units are uh are um necessarily owner occupied so i think i think it's going to be slow I, I think there's not a lot of there's not a lot of demand for it these retrofits in a lot of the housing the the, the actual physical nature of the building is not suitable for this but i think just like everything else it's inevitable i mean seattle doesn't have a single family zone anymore you know so you wow. can't put in you can't build new construction on a single lot you can't build a single family right we're going that way right you know so it's gonna happen we it just you know and it's and it should be a positive thing i don't know if it's gonna be happen with enough uh volume to to change the landscape but it will sure give a lot of homeowners you know that are that are at the bottom of the income scale the opportunity to start building generational wealth and having housing security in a market where they otherwise would so i think it's a wonderful thing and i encourage every government and and regulatory structure to say how can we promote this rather than rather than fighting so i don't have yeah. to answer your question but that's exactly what i was looking for yeah so yeah, my final question for you is how can people get a hold of you? Um, that's a good question. Um, right. My my phone rings enough. Uh, <laughs> certainly, certainly. Well, I'm 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 the broker at, at Equity Real Estate Solutions up here. Um, it's uh, my email is broker at Equity Cash Valley. Um, and I hope your audience knows how, to, how we're spelling Cash Valley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh and let's do email, right? I mean, yeah. I certainly have a cell phone number. Anybody, you're certainly welcome to get, give it out uh, to anybody that, that asked for it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not responding to my, <laughs> my new incoming calls at, at the rate that I, that I feel that I should be. So, mm -hmm. so let's not make the delusion for either of us that that's going to do something. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. Thanks so much for taking time to be on the podcast. I appreciate you just letting us just go right through it and just kind of have it be more of a laid back thing. But I, I gained a lot of value from it. Yeah, I mean, this is way fun. I mean, these these experiences, I, I I certainly gained a lot from it too because it makes it makes it all. You, we're all we need to think and reevaluate. And you've asked me some questions like, huh, you know, and these are really good things that I encourage everybody to kind of be thinking about and saying, hey, where am I on this? What do I do about this? Because that self-evaluation is um, a great way to kind of get to understand what we what we want to be doing. And so I might I might go home and say, you know, do some postmortem on this and say, hey, <laughs> you know, was that was that brutally self-honest? You know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, well maybe in a couple months we'll have you back on or something right, like that. Ask you the same questions story, and see right? where that goes. Right, yeah. Hey, thanks again. <laughs> Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome.